0: Chapter eight of The Empty Sack by Basil King. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Chapter eight Jenny cried herself to sleep that Wednesday night, and in the morning cried herself awake. She was in no doubt as to the motive of her tears. She was sorry for having put a gulf between her and the man she loved by marrying one she didn't care for why she didn't care for him was beyond her power of analysis. He was good and kind and tender, he was rock-like and steady and strong, in a forceful way he was almost handsome, and some day he would be rich. But there was the fact that, her heart being given to the one man, her nerves shuddered at the other. The explanation she used to give, that the lividness of the scar on his forehead frightened her, was no longer tenable. Since the mark tended to fade out. The other infirmity, his limp, was also less conspicuous. For though he could never walk as if his foot had not been crushed, he walked as well as many other men. It wasn't these peculiarities, it wasn't any one thing in itself. It was simply that she didn't love him and never would. Whereas she did love another man. She loved his violet eyes, his brown moustache, his flashing teeth his selfishness, his cruelty. She loved his system of starving her out, his habit of keeping her in anguish. Too much reasonableness was hard for her to assimilate, like so much water to a portulaca. And Bob had been so reasonable, he had tried to explain himself, he had used words that scared, that shocked her. Polygamous, monomagous the very sound suggested anatomy or impropriety. Nevertheless, she could have pardoned this language as an eccentricity, if, in the dimness of the parson's hall, he hadn't taken her in his arms and kissed her. This possibility was something she forgot when she followed him up the rectory's brown steps. For the inadvertence she blamed herself the more, since, through the winter, she had never once lost sight of it. Whenever he had proposed to her, the advantages of marrying so much money had been offset by her terror at his pawing her about.' With no high-flown ideas as to virtue, Jenny would have fought like a wildcat for her virginity of mind and body, till ready of her own free will to give them up. And here she had sold herself to Bob Collingham, a man whose touch made her shrink. "'I can't live with you,' she cried, as she tore herself from his embrace. And poor Bob had been reasonable again. "'Of course not, Jenny, darling. Not yet. When I come back—' She hadn't let him finish. She dashed through the doors and down the steps, so that he had some ado to keep up with her. Even then, he had only dragged her away and been a caveman. And the evening at home had been one of the oddest she had ever spent under her father's roof. Everyone was so queer, or else she was queer herself. Gussie and Gladys reconciled after their squabble, had both been in high spirits, and Teddy almost hysterical. He gave imitations of the men with whom he worked most closely at the bank, of Fred Ingalls, of Mrs. Ingalls, of Dolly, Addie, and Sadie Ingalls, which made everyone feel that a great actor has been lost to the stage. But on top of these exhibitions he would fall into spells of profound reverie. The father had been apathetic, but he was always apathetic now. The mother, on the other hand, more serene than usual. More than usual, too, her eyes applauded Teddy's high spirits with a quiet, adoring smile. Altogether the supper had been a merry one, and yet, to Jenny's thinking, merry with a mysterious note in the merriment, a note which perhaps only Pansy's intuitions could have really understood. But, sitting on the edge of her bed in the morning, she saw a ray of hope. There was divorce. Marriage wasn't the irreparable thing which their family's traditions assumed it to be. As a tolerably diligent reader of the personal items in the papers, Jenny had more than once read of divorces granted to young couples who had parted at the church door. Naturally she shrank from the fuss it would involve, but better the fuss than... Having got up, for the reason that she couldn't stay in bed, she dressed slowly because none of the family was as yet astir. She would surprise her mother by lighting the gas-range and making the coffee before anyone came down. Thus it happened... "'that she saw the postman crossing the street with a letter in his hand. "'Their letters were not rare in the family. "'They were rare enough to make the arrival of one an incident. "'She went to the door to take it from the postman's hand. "'Seeing it addressed to Miss Follett and bearing the postmark Marillo, "'her knees trembled under her. "'Having read what Mrs. Collingham had written, "'Jenny's first thought was that her early rising enabled her to keep this missive secret.' What it could pretend was beyond her surmise. It was not unfriendly, but neither was it cordial. It took the guarded tone, she thought, of a woman who meant to see her face to face before being willing to commit herself. As success on meeting people face to face had mostly been Jenny's portion, she was not so much afraid of the test as of what it might bring afterward. What it might bring afterward was the recognition of her marriage and her translation into a rich family. This would mean the end of her father's and mother's material cares, Teddy's advancement at the bank, and brilliant careers for Gussie and Gladys in New York social life. Jenny could think of at least half a dozen picture-plays in which the sacrifice of some lovely virtuous girl had done as much as this for her relatives. So, all that day, sacrifice as much in her mind. Against a vague background of grandeur have the same emotional effect as of passion sung to the accompaniment of a great orchestra. To see herself with a limousine at her command, and the family established in a modest villa somewhere out near Mirillow Park, if not quite within it, enabled her mentally to face another embrace from Bob in the spirit of an early Christian maiden thinking of the lions awaiting her in the arena. It would be terrible, but it could be met.' The vision of the limousine at her command seemed to have come partly true as a trim chauffeur stepped up to her in the station at Murillo, touching his cap and asking if he spoke to Miss Follett. He touched his cap again when he closed the door on her, and the car tooled away along a road which bore the same relation to the roads with which Jenny was familiar as a glorified spirit to a living man. The park was not so much a park as it was a country. It had hills, valleys, landscapes, lakes— and what seemed to Jenny immense estates for which there was plenty of room. There were houses as big as hotels, and much more beautiful. Trees, flowers, lawns, terraces, fountains, tennis-courts, dogs, horses, and motor-cars were as silver in the building of the Temple of Jerusalem, nothing accounted of. Jenny had seen high life as lived by the motion picture herein, but he did not believe that even wealth could buy such a garden of Eden as this. Expecting to reach Collingham Lodge a few minutes after passing the grill, she had gone on and on, over roads that branched, and then branched, and then branched again, like the veinings of a leaf. After descending at the white cond Portico, she went up the steps, in a state bordering on Trance. She knew what to do, much as Elijah, having come by the chariot of fire to another plane of life, must have known what to do when required to get out and go onward. Since a man in livery opened a door of wrought-iron tracery over glass, she had no choice but to pass through. It is possible that Max, by his supersenses, knew that she belonged to his master, for, springing towards her, he nosed her hand. It was, as she put it to herself, the only human touch in the first stages of her welcome. Thenceforward, during all the forty or fifty minutes of her stay, he kept close to her, either on foot or crouched beside her chair till a curious thing happened when she regained the car i've said in the first stages of her welcome for as soon as she entered the hall she heard a cheery voice oh so it's you miss follett so glad you've come it's really too bad to bring you so far only it seemed to me we might be cosier here than if i went up to town down the golden space which seemed to Jenny much too majestic for any one's private dwelling, a brisk figure moved with hand outstretched. A few seconds later Jenny was looking into eyes such as she didn't suppose existed in human faces. Beauty, dignity, poise, white hair dressed to perfection, and clothes such as Jenny had never seen off the stage, and rarely on it, were all subordinated to a hearty, kindly, womanly greeting before they sank out of sight overpowered as she was by the material costliness of all she saw the girl was well-nigh crushed by this unaffected affability like the queen of sheba at the court of solomon to be scriptural again there was no more spirit left in her mrs collingham went on talking as side by side they walked slowly up the strip of red carpet into the cool recesses of the house i hope you didn't find the train too stuffy "'It's too bad they won't give us a parlour-car on the locals. "'For the last three or four years we only have a parlour-car on what they call the "'husband's trains, one in the morning and one in the afternoon. "'And, my dear, they make us pay for it as if—' "'A toss of the hands proved to Jenny that Mrs. Collingham knew the difference between "'cheap and dear, which again took her by surprise. "'They passed through the terrace drawing-room, which Jenny couldn't notice because she trod "'on air, and came out to the flagged pavement.' Even here Mrs. Collingham didn't pause, but, leading the way to the end of it, she went round a corner to the northern and more private side of the house, which looked into a little wood. "'Mr. Collingham's at home, just driven down, but I'm not going to have him here. Men are such a nuisance when women talk about intimate things, don't you think? They make such mountains of mill-hills. Just as when you have a cry, they think your heart must be breaking, and never seem to understand that it gives you some relief.' Jenny was still more astounded. that the mistress of Collingham Lodge, a great figure in Murillo Park, and therefore high up in the peerage of the United States, could have the same feelings as herself, seemed the touch of nature that makes the whole world kin to a degree she had put beyond the limits of the human heart. They came to construction like a giant birdcage, a room, out of doors, yet sheltered from noisome insects like their own screened piazza, furnished with an outdoor-indoor luxury. "'We don't have many mosquitoes at Murillo,' Mrs. Collingham explained, as she led the way in. "'But in spring they can be troublesome, so we'll have our tea here. "'Gossip will bring it presently. "'Where will you sit? I think you'll like that chair. "'There. What about a cushion? "'Oh, I'm sure you don't need it at your age, but still one likes to be comfortable. "'No, Max, stay out.' "'Well, if you must come in, come in.' "'He seems to like you,' she chattered on. "'He's Bob's dog, and I suppose he takes to Bob's friends.' rendered speechless by this frank reference to the man who was the bond between them. There was, fortunately, no immediate need for Jenny to speak, since gossip appeared in the doorway pushing the tea equipage. It was a little table on wheels, and on it Jenny noticed, in a general way, every magnificent detail—the silver tray, the silver kettle, the silver teapot, the silver tongs, the silver spoons. "'And all of them solid,' she said to herself awesomely. She regretted that she wouldn't be at liberty to recount these marvels at home. At home they thought her merely at the studio, while she had been borne away through the air as by a witch on a broomstick. Jenny would have said that Mrs. Collingham had hardly looked at her. But then she reflected, Every woman knew how little looking you had to do to grasp the details of another woman's personality. You took them all in at a glance, as if you brought seven or eight senses into play. Each time her hostess, now settled behind the tea-table, lifted her fine eyes, Jenny was sure they got her like a camera. "'You pose, don't you?' The words came out in a casual, friendly tone as she busied herself with the spirit-lamp. "'That must be so interesting. I often wonder when I'm in the big galleries what the immortal women would have said had they known how their features would go down through the ages.' Take Dorothea Anachtigal, for instance, the original of Holbein's Mayor Madonna in Darmstadt. The most wonderful of all the Madonnas, I always say. And how queer, I suppose, she would have felt if she'd known that we would be adoring her when she's no more than a handful of dust. Or the model who posed for the Madonna di San Sisto. Or the young things who sat to Grozza. Did you ever think of them?' Jenny saw how Bob could have come by words like polygamous and monogamous. "'People at Murillo Park spoke a language of their own. "'English with frills on it,' was the way she put it to herself. "'From the intonation she was able to frame her answer in the negative, "'while, once more, the superb eyes, which were oddly like Bob's little steely ones, "'were lifted on her with a smile. "'You know, I should think people would be crazy to paint you. "'How do you like your tea? Sugar? Cream? One lump? Two lumps?' Having flung out answers at random, Jenny leaned forward to take her cup, while the kindly voice rang on, "'Just as you sit there, you're a pitcher. Funny I should have given you a tan-coloured cushion, because it tones in exactly.' Jenny explained that the various shades of brown and some of the deeper ones of red were among her favourites. "'Because they go so well with your hair,' her hostess said comprehendingly, and studying her now more frankly. "'My dear, you've got the most lovely hair.' "'It isn't auburn, it isn't coppery, it isn't red, it's—what is it? "'Oh, I see, it's it's amber, it's the extraordinary shade Romney gets into some of his portraits of Lady Hamilton. "'You see it in the one in the Frick Gallery, if I remember rightly. "'You must look the next time you're there.' "'Jenny tried to stammer that she would, "'only that her syllables ran into one another and became incoherent. "'But Romney couldn't paint you,' Mrs Collingham declared enthusiastically, "'putting her cup to her lips.' He's too Georgian. You're the twentieth century. You're the perfect spirit of the age. Restless, rebellious, wistful, and delicate all at once. Girls nowadays remind me of exquisite fragile things, like this part of the Sainte-Chapelle, only built of steel. You've got the steel look, all slender and unbendable. It's curious that the way women look like the ages in which they're born. You've only to go through a portrait collection to see that it's so— Take the Stuart women, for instance, the Van Dyke and the Lely women. Great saucer-eyed things with sensual lips and breasts. And then the Holbein women so terribly got up in their stiff Sunday clothes, which they must have hurried to put into their cedar chests the minute they got home from Mass. But they belong to their time, don't you think?' Jenny could only say she did think, vowing in her heart that the next day would see her going round the Metropolitan Museum with a catalogue. "'But you! Hubert Ray says he's done a wonderful study of you, and I'm crazy to see it. "'The only thing I don't like from his description is that he's got you in a Greek dress and attitude. "'And I think, now that I've seen you, that the day after to-morrow is your style. "'What do you say yourself?' "'I don't know about the day after to-morrow. I'm, I'm so busy with to-day.' "'Mrs. Collingham took this with a pleasant little laugh. "'You clever thing! You won't give yourself away.' She mused a few seconds, a smile on her lips, and then said with a sudden lifting of the eyes, "'What do you think of Bob?' The girl could only stammer. Th- "'Think of him. I- in what way? "'Do you think he looks like me?' In this rapid, unexpected shifting of the ground, Jenny was like a giddy person trying to keep her head. "'Well, yes, in in a way, only—' Mrs. Collingham laughed again. "'I see that, too—' "'He does. I can't deny it. Often when I look at him I see myself only—you'll laugh, I know—only myself as I've been reflected in the back of a silver spoon. "'That's the trouble with Bob. He's so unformed. You must have noticed it. I suppose it's the war. And yet I don't know. He's always been like that. A dear fellow, but no more than half grown. I dare say, but by the time he's fifty he'll be something like a man.' As there seemed to be no absolute need for a response to this, Jenny waited for more. It came, after another little spell of musing. "'He's talked to me so much about you all through the winter. That's why I asked you to come down. Mr. Collingham and I feel so tremendously indebted to you for the way you've acted.' Jenny could only repeat feebly, "'The way I've acted? I mean the way you've understood him. Almost any other girl.' "'Yes, girls right here in Murillo Park. Would have taken him at his word.' Jenny's lips were parted, but unable to frame a question. Mrs. Collingham eyed the spirit-lamp. "'All the same, that doesn't excuse him. Even a fellow isn't half-grown should have more sense than to make love to every girl he spends an hour with. "'One of these days some girl will catch him, and then he'll be sorry.' That's why we've been so thankful for the kind of influence you've had over him, and why my husband and I thought we'd like to to do something, well, something a little audacious. Jenny was twisting her fingers and untwisting them, but luckily her hostess, by keeping her eyes on the spirit lamp, didn't notice this sign of nervousness. Once more she spoke with a musing half-smile. We... We see a good deal of someone else who keeps talking about you, and—you won't mind, will you? Of course we've drawn our conclusions. We couldn't help that, could we, when they were staring us in the face? Do you mean Mr. Ray? Jenny asked, with the point-blank helplessness of one who doesn't know how to hedge. Oh, I I didn't use the name, now, did I? And as I've said, what we've seen, we've seen, and we couldn't help it. "'But, of course, if it hadn't been for Bob, we shouldn't have seen so quickly.' "'But he doesn't know,' Jenny cried, more as a query than as affirmation. "'No, I suppose he doesn't. "'I I only mean that, as you refused Bob so many times—he told me that—we naturally thought there must be someone else, and—and when everything pointed that way and Hubert talked of you so much—' She kept this line of reasoning suspended, or once more she shifted her ground suddenly. I wonder if you've ever realised how hard it is to show your gratitude towards people to whom you're truly and deeply feeling grateful. Jenny mumbled something to the effect that she'd never been in that situation. Well, it is a situation. People are so queer and proud and difficile. I suppose it's we older people who run up oftenest against that. But if Mr. Collingham and I could only do for people the things we might do, and which they won't let us do— Once more the idea was suspended to give Jenny time to take in the fact that a good thing was coming her way. But all she could manage was to stare with frightened, fascinated eyes and no power of thought. Do you know, my dear, the artless voice ran on, now that I'm face to face with you I'm really afraid. I told my husband that if he'd leave us alone together I shouldn't be, and after all I am. She leaned forward confidentially. "'How frank would you let me be? "'How much would you be willing for me to say?' "'Before the girl could invent a reply, "'the voice kept up its even, caressing measure. "'I know how things are with you. "'At least I think I do. "'I've been young, my dear. "'I know what it is to be in love. "'You're colouring, but you needn't do it, not for me. "'You're very much in love, aren't you?' "'Jenny bowed her head to hide her tears.' She hadn't meant to admit how much in love she was, but this sympathy unnerved her. You do love Hubert, don't you? Yes, but—and that's why you told Bob you couldn't marry him? That's one of the reasons, but— One of the reasons will do, my dear. You don't know how much I feel with you and for you. "'I could tell you a little story about myself when I was your age, "'but, but then old love-tales are like dried flowers. "'They've lost their scent and colour. "'Mr. Collingham and I are very fond of Hubert, "'and of course he doesn't make enough to marry on, as things are now. "'He has a little something, I suppose, "'and with the work he's doing the future is secure. "'You'll find one day that he'll be painting you as Andrea del Sarto, "'painted Lucrezia, and Rembrandt Saskia, and their wives, you know. "'Oh, but Mrs. Collingham... "'There, there, my dear, I'm not going to say anything more about that. "'I know Hubert and what he wants, "'and so my husband and I thought that if we could show our gratitude to you "'and make things easier for him—' "'Oh, but you couldn't. "'We couldn't unless you helped us. "'That goes without saying, of course, but we hoped you would. "'You see, when people have so much— "'not that we're so tremendously rich, but when they have enough, "'and when they know, as we do, what struggle is—' "'and there's been anyone whom they admire, as, as we admire you, after all you've done for Bob. "'We thought that if we could give a little present—a a wedding present it would be—only "'just a little in anticipation—we thought five thousand dollars.' "'She ceased suddenly, because Jenny appeared as one transfixed. "'She sat erect, but the life seemed to have gone out of her. "'Mrs. Collingham was prepared for this. She had discounted it in advance.' "'She's playing for more,' she said to herself. "'Luckily she had named her minimum only, "'and had arranged with her husband for a maximum. "'The maximum was all the same to her so long as she saved Bob. "'Having given Jenny credit for seeing through the game all along, "'such girls were quick and astute. "'She had expected that the first figure of the present "'would meet with just this reception. "'But Jenny was saying to herself, Oh, if this kind offer had only come yesterday.' five thousand dollars was a sum of which she could not see the spending limitations it meant all of which the family had need and that she herself had ever coveted with five thousand dollars she could not only have put her father on his feet but have come before hubert as an heiress mrs collingham said at last with a shade of coldness in her tone i should be willing to make it seven or ten perhaps we would better say ten at once and enter the discussion My husband's willing to make it ten, but I don't think he'd give more. Our son is very dear to us. The reality seeped through in spite of her attempts at comedy. Uh, Oh, Miss Follett, if you'd only help us to keep him for ourselves of you've helped us already. Jenny staggered to her feet. Her arms hung lax at her side. Ten thousand dollars. The sum was fabulous. It would have meant all cares lifted from the home and Hubert. She was hardly aware of her speaking, as she said, Oh, Mrs. Collingham, I can't take your money. I wish I could. My God, how I wish I could. But, but, but for goodness sake, child, why can't you? Because, oh, because, I'm married to Bob already. End of Chapter 8